this is FD Talks, a brand new podcast series by Funeral Directors Live, where we explore ideas, insights, and solutions for serving families in a rapidly changing marketplace. Hello and welcome once again to FD Talks. Today we're going to do part two of our two-part series on hospice care. And we're doing this in uh, coordination with our hospicebasics.org website. We have with us today Melissa Luton. She is with uh, a Hendrick Hospice Care here in Abilene and she is in charge of community outreach. Will you tell us a little bit about what that's about? Sure. I am the community outreach manager for Hendrick Hospice Care and that means that I manage multiple departments pretty much everything that uh, involves our community. Uh, I oversee the bereavement program, uh, our spiritual care department, our volunteer department, our development department, and our marketing department. In your, in your communication with the public, do you sort of realize that some people don't know what hospice is? You know, my saying is, and I've been there with Hendrick Hospice Care almost 23 years, and my saying is people really don't know what hospice is unless they work for hospice or they've had a personal experience with hospice. Other than that, it's not one of those subjects where people just are sitting around wanting to learn more about. Well, kind of describe to me then, then what, it, what it is. Hospice is, it, you know, it's, it's really a philosophy. I came to hospice 23 years ago as a, a marketing coordinator. And so I, I used to think, you know, what's going to be the hardest part of my job to communicate what basically people think is, you know, death and dying. And I really learned very fast that that's not what it is. It's not just, yes, that's inevitable and that's what happens. But the concept of what hospice provides, the team that hospice provides for our patients, you know, it's very special. It's, it's a privilege for us um, to be able to walk this journey with them um, and know that it's also an option. You know, it's a choice and I like choices. And I think as most consumers, we like choices. And so it's not something that any physician or anyone's gonna say, you have to do this. It's an option. So we're actually meeting patients and families where they are in their journey of dealing with an end of life care issue that's going to happen with or without hospice. So I heard you say you have a marketing background. Did, how did you end up in, in this line of business? Actually, it was pretty much by accident. Um, I uh, am a graduate at Hardin-Simmons University and um, my job right out of college was um, with the director that was, you know, um, at admissions at that time. And then he was promoted to hospice. And so I actually, he hired me right out of college for admissions at Hendricks Center for Rehabilitation. And then he was promoted and they were looking for a marketing, so I kind of followed him. Um, and then he has since left, but after that it was, you know, it was pretty much I was home. Um, what would you say is probably the most rewarding part of your job? You know, for being a marketing person or someone that, that deals with public relations, you know, there's, it's, it, it, there's a very quick turnover, you know, as far as employment. And I tell people, you know, regardless of what people think about hospice or end-of-life care, this has actually been the easiest job that I've ever had, and a lot of it is because of the team. You know, you go out there and you deal with the healthcare. You know, you're trying to um, educate, you know, the healthcare providers and individuals and the community about what is hospice. And you're trying to paint this wonderful picture, as you should as a marketer, as a PR person, and really truly show them 
Um, and it's the team that's made it so easy because what happens is if I meet a new physician and I'm talking about hospice and I'm talking about this wonderful team and what we can do for their patients, not once as a physician came back and said, Melissa, you did nothing of what you said. If anything, this team exceeds any expectations that anyone can set by talking about what hospice is. And so that I think has been the easiest part is that it basically sells itself. My regret is, and I think that most team members, I think the hardest part for us is that we don't have enough time. Um, unfortunately for us and pretty much the nation, uh, the length of stay has actually gotten smaller and smaller. So we don't have as much time to do, I think, and allow our team to do the wonderful gifts that they have. You were saying um, a, a few minutes ago that you know it's a choice that, that people make to, to choose hospice. Do you have some some statistics or some uh, way of of explaining like how many people make that choice uh, in the United States? So in 2020, we had um, in the United States there were probably about 3.3 million deaths, and someone that does elect to get on hospice and utilize services, their average length of stay nationally is about 24 days. When I started in hospice 23 years ago and the average length of stay was a lot longer. So you actually truly embedded yourself as part of the, the family. You know, you became part of that family. Now what we see, because we have such a small amount of time to, um, you know, really learn the family, learn who the family are, and, you know, the dealings that we have with the patient, a lot of times what ends up happening is our team is coming in as more of, you know, to do damage control or crisis. Actually, crisis management is probably the best word to utilize. They're coming there and they're trying to manage symptoms and, you know, and trying to figure out really, really quickly what the patient and family needs. In that, in that time that the social workers spend with families, what are some, what are some things that, that can, can happen? You know, in the in in my time at hospice, one of my favorite stories that I remember so dearly and I feel is a good example of what hospice is, is we had a patient and, you know, he had just retired and he was getting ready to go and travel the world. He was going to drive all through the United States. And shortly after he retired, he was given an, you know, an end of life care diagnosis. And so our social workers were wonderful to come in and say, you know what? they never want to take away any hope, which it seems very hopeless when someone's given a diagnosis, when they had all of these plans, but they do a wonderful job about redefining. And so what happened is he actually, his name was David, and he actually redefined and he said, you know what, I would just like to live long enough to see my daughter. She's getting ready to get married and I would love to be able to see her get married. And so, again, we can't make any promises and we don't make any promises, but he actually lived long enough. And it took actually our social workers to figure out. It was like, you know, kind of arranging the symphony. It was just all just coordinated care that they did, you know, that they actually made sure that there was going to be a nurse that was at his side at the wedding. Uh, we had a volunteer who was a retired nurse who had elected to, once David got tired, was going to take him home and actually stay with him so the family could enjoy the rest of the wedding. Um, and then we also arranged transportation because he was wheelchair bound. So, you know, it was just everything that they did to be able to get this man to the wedding so he could see his daughter 
get married. And so there was a lot of moving parts and that's what our social workers do. I've seen them do wonderful things in dealing with the families as far as mediating, you know, maybe families that aren't getting along or maybe there's an estranged family member that they have figured out and visiting and talking and realizing psychosocially what is going on with the patient and the family and the family dynamics on why things aren't, you know, the communication isn't going so smooth that they have, you know, gone to many lengths to make sure that that patient has that one last conversation with that estranged um, family member, if that's what needs to be, so that the patient can be peaceful. What would prevent a family from choosing hospice care for, for someone who is uh, in a situation where they're facing end of life? You know, a lot of times, I think for our patients and our families, there's so many emotions that go with, you know, number one, you had mom, she's 90 years old, and just Sunday she was driving herself to church. You know, so there's a lot of emotion that's going on. And I think a lot of times our society, number one, just has never really embraced, you know, death and dying, where there's a lot of other societies that, that they know that that's a part of life. We're just not one that's actually so open to it. And I think a lot of times, too, there's healthcare providers, I think, nobody wants to be the bearer of bad news. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of it. You know, I think that there's healthcare providers that, you know, it's very hard. I had a physician tell me one time that said, you know, I, I, you know, you have to remember that, you know, physicians go to school and they train for a very, very long time. So it's very, very hard for them to ever say to a patient and family, there's nothing else we can do because they have studied, you know, I take my kids to the doctor and I say, hey, fix them, do whatever you can to fix them. And I want them to fix them. And that's what physicians do. They want to make everything better. And so I think it's very hard for them to break bad news. So I think that it's our job as hospice, as a, as a society, to make sure that we are educating ourselves. And I think choice and education is huge, especially now. And I think as long as people really truly know that that is a choice and the choice truly is theirs to know that this is an option. You know, if you really think about just kind of healthcare and in the last few years of where healthcare has, has gone, hospice is still the biggest gift that anyone could actually give someone, you know, as far as there is a Medicare hospice benefit, but there's still a lot of hospices like ours that are nonprofit that we don't charge our, you know, families for patient care. And hopefully we're not ever mandated. We do a lot of fundraising to do that, but it truly is the biggest gift because what else can you name that there is actually going to be a physician, a nurse, a social worker, a chaplain, a volunteer, a hospice aide that will go to your home to provide you this care, you know, in your home, surrounded by the people that you love, surrounded by your family, surrounded by things that are very familiar to you. Um, there is nothing else that you can do. You know, with hospices, the Medicare benefit says that we have to provide all of the supplies, equipment, and medications that are related to that hospice diagnosis. So what bigger gift can you give someone or ask for other than coming to terms with the fact that there's an end-of-life care issue and, you know, that death is imminent. Wow. In your role uh, with community outreach, can you describe the relationship that you have with the funeral homes in your area? We've always had a long-standing relationship with our funeral homes. They have been so supportive of us, of our families. You know, something that one of the funeral home directors tells me 
every time uh, we have dealings with him is he always says that he can tell the difference between a hospice family and a non-hospice family and that it is just very different where you have a family just like you know Peggy had talked about you know walking them through this journey and helping them get the information and educating them you know as that time comes with funeral homes and what that will look like for them some of the directors that have said that I've asked that same question I've asked them you know what exactly does that mean and what they've elaborated to me is they feel that um, our hospice families are a little bit more prepared for what's happening. They're a little bit more educated on what the process is as far as um, what the funeral home can do, can't do. Um, and I think that they're coping a little bit differently than those that did not have, you know, hospice to walk them through those last days as far as, you know, answering those questions. He's, you know, they have mentioned that families that did not have hospice or did not have that, you know, education as far as what that would look like just come you know spinning out of control like don't even know where to start where ours have maybe already started you know going through the process you know one of the links that um, that we we give to a lot of is you know funeralbasics.com for them to start looking at things and so I think that's what they mean that they're a little bit well prepared and they know they already have things kind of put together but they're always very open they're very supportive you know they bring a lot of seminars and things that they're looking for you know you, you mentioned Alan you know Walfelt and they're always coming and saying hey we have this you know for you for your staff and they're always wanting to take that one step of, of strengthening that relationship that we have with them um, and they're also very supportive with our bereavement programs. We have bereavement programs that we offer to anyone regardless whether or not they've utilized our hospice. And so they're very supportive of that. In, and that's after the fact. And so they come and do that. But during COVID, when everything was pretty much the unknown, you know, I think Peggy talked about that, that ritual. And we knew that for our hospice patients and our hospice team, we knew how we were caring for our patients had changed dramatically. And we knew with our bereavement coordinator, our bereavement counselor, we knew what bereavement was going to look like for them after the death occurred. It was going to be complicated. So we had to know and we had to figure out, well, what is it looking like for the funeral home right now? The funeral home and the directors and that community, because they were also given a huge task of no longer being able to gather you know, what does this look like? Everybody being masked. And so to be able to pick up the phone and just call the directors and say, what are you seeing? What what are your plans? How are we going to get through this? How are we going to be able to give our families these rituals or these funerals or memorial service? Because if we don't, they will end up having complicated grief. As it is, they're grieving financial resources. They're grieving, you know, employment. They're grieving, you know, just social issues. And then you put this on top of that. And so it was very comforting to me to know that I could just pick up the phone and say, hey, what do you recommend? What are you seeing? What are you going to, you know, what are your plans? And just like hospice, we had to do a lot of out-of-the-box thinking in order to get us through COVID. And it looked a lot different, but we were able to still provide that same care. And I think they had to do the same thing. You know, they had to you saw them do wonderful things. You saw them do, you know, multiple things as far as instead of just one memorial service, you could choose this time or this time. You know, there were a lot more graveside, you know, where you could be outside distanced. And so it, it's, 
it's them as well working with us and realizing truly these families' journeys and, and willing to step outside of the box to do it. That's a great answer. Kind of describe to me, if you don't mind, what do you think the ideal future moving forward relationship between funeral homes and hospice care might look like? Any changes or, or anything that any evolving? You know, I think for us, um, unfortunately, because death is, is going to happen, but I think Peggy had mentioned it, and I think that that's true in all aspects of, of hospices is availability. You know, making sure that when we call or a family calls that, that they're available and they make themselves accessible to our patients and family. And I think, you know, we care so much for our patients and family. You know, our team truly does become part of this. They enmesh themselves with these families and become part of their family. And so I think it's very comforting for our team when it's very hard. And um, Peggy mentioned also that, you know, there, there is a lot of grief with our team once our patients dies. And we care about our, our patients and our families. So for us to be able to know that when they're leaving our hands and we're handing them off to someone else, that they're going to carry on that same care and compassion and understanding the way that we had to. And we do live, I mean, we do live in a wonderful, you know, uh, community and we've never had any problem of you know, not seeing that. But if they can continue to do that, I think that'd be wonderful. And even nationwide, if more, you know, hospices and funeral homes, if hospices were reassured that, you know, they're going to carry on that compassion that we had. Yeah, one of the initiatives that, that we're working on uh, currently is uh, hospicebasics.org, which we're hoping can be a, a valuable resource for families to, to get that education and understand the value of going through this process with a little help. And uh, Melissa, I appreciate you coming in today. I definitely, like I, like I asked Peggy, I hope you'll come back. Uh, I Thank plan you. on following up with you. And um, thanks for coming in. Thank you. If you would like to reach out to us about this episode or this series, please visit us online at funeraldirectorslife.com forward slash FD Talks. There you can find information about this episode and submit any comments, suggestions, or feedback about our series. And we also welcome your ideas for future episodes. Join us next time on FD Talks as we explore ideas, insights, and solutions for serving families in a rapidly changing marketplace.